Good morning. Uh, my name is Jordan again. It hasn't changed since I said it the first time, but I'm the adult ministry pastor here at Seoul, and it is great to, to be up here with you uh, this morning. I hope that everyone had a great uh, Christmas time with your friends and your family and whoever you may have uh, been with during that time. And uh, we are looking forward to 2018 in just a matter of hours here today. And so if the song, if the coffee song didn't give it away, we're going to be talking about prayer um, this morning. But I just want to make mention before I begin today that today is the last day in which you can give for 2017 giving. And now we had a few people asking about that. And so if you were wanting to give before the close of 2017, today is the last day that you can do that. And our joy baskets are located at the back of the room. Um, you can do text to give. Uh, you can give at the Welcome Center. Um, there's m many other ways in which you can give. You can give online as well, um, if you so wish. But today is the last day for that. And I just want to thank everyone here for your, for your generosity and just for your continued support of this community. Uh, we very much appreciate it. And so uh, today is the last day that you can give for 2017 giving, and I encourage you to do so. And so speaking of 2018, we have a new year that is about to be upon us. And with a new year approaching, many are focused on how they can change or maybe how you can improve in the new year. And one of the things that we do in our culture is every time a new year comes around, we set goals and we call these things New Year's. Anyone? Resolutions. There you go. Thank you. Um, and, and I wonder how many of us have been thinking about this a little already? Um, I, know, I, I know I've been thinking about this a little bit myself. If you haven't been thinking about this, you've got to get on that because the hours are seriously dwindling away, okay? Uh, 2017 is going out pretty quick here. But New Year's resolutions, I find that they're fun, and yet they're so sad all at once. Um, sometimes New Year's resolutions are trying to figure out, you know, where I'm going to mess up early on this year, right? Uh, I don't know about you. Maybe that's a bit cynical this morning. Maybe, maybe I'm just being a little too cynical about that, but I'm not sure if I've ever really kept a resolution throughout the whole year like I had wanted or set out to. Anyone here ever done it? You had, you had a New Year's resolution? Right? I see some hands. Awesome. Okay, perfect. Um, I think for many of us, we, we, we all set out with the right intentions, and yet, you know, often we've fallen short of where we've wanted to end up with these resolutions. And so with New Year's resolutions in mind this morning, what are some of the most common New Year's resolutions that we see every year? This past week, I was reading an article in Time Magazine, and so they're going to help us with that this morning. Um, number one, the, the number one New Year's resolution out there is to lose weight and to get fit. Uh, this is constantly uh, something that people are striving to do in the New Year's. I've talked to people who um, own gyms, and they talk about how memberships rise so much in January. And, 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 and sometimes the regulars get a little bit upset when this happens because, you know, it's a long wait for a machine or to get on to wherever you want to get to. And, and usually they just whisper in their ears, don't worry, February's coming. This will even out very quickly. But lose weight and get fit is the number one New Year's resolution that people make. Number two is quitting smoking. Uh, many people aspire that, you know, because it's a new year, it's a perfect time to give up the tobacco. Uh, number three, uh, some people want to learn something new. Uh, maybe for you, you want to take up skydiving this year. I have no idea. You know, we all have different things, different interests uh, that we want to take up. Um, I encourage you not to take up smoking. But anyways, uh, learn something new is a uh, New Year's resolution that many people make. Uh, number four is to eat healthier and to diet. Um, you know, to stop buying the pizza pops and, you know, load up on broccoli. Uh, many people, the idea is once a new year comes, you know, we've had a lot of food during Christmas time. Let's eat healthy and diet. Uh, number five is to get out of debt 
and to save money. Uh, begin to pay off bills. Um, I think we all do a fair amount of spending around the holiday time that, you know, this is a very relevant one when it comes to New Year's. Uh, number six is to spend more time with family. You know, it's so easy to get caught up doing what we're doing, get caught up with work, get caught up with responsibilities that sometimes we forget that some of the most meaningful times that we have are time spent with family and the ones that we love. And I think that is no more clearer than during the holiday time. Uh, number seven, travel to new places. I think some of us, you know, for New Year's, all of a sudden think this would be a perfect time to start traveling and seeing the world. Um, number eight is to be less stressed. Uh, to, to try to find ways in order to eliminate stress from your life and your routine. Um, number nine, and I, and I am doing an absolute shameless plug with this one, is to volunteer, uh, to continue to, to, to consider serving somewhere. And at Soul Sanctuary here, we have many places in which you can volunteer, and we'd love to have you become a part of our dream team here at Soul. And so, um, and if you've taken growth tracks, you'll know why I said the word dream team there. But uh, volunteering is a great resolution to get involved with something in the new year. And number 10, the final in the top 10 list of things to do for the new year, New Year's resolution, is to drink less. And I think what they were getting at there was less alcohol, was to, you know, kind of, you know, put that away a little bit, you know, and maybe focus on more water and, you know, uh, I'm sure tomato juice. Anyways, you know, drink less is the 10th uh, on the list of top New Year's resolutions that we see every year. And one thing is for sure, I would say this, when a new year comes, we all want to improve our lives. Um, new Year's resolutions are built upon the idea that we have things in our lives that need changing. We want to change, we want to better ourselves in certain areas, and so when a new year comes around, it almost feels like we get like a clean slate or something, and so therefore, we begin to make resolutions, we begin to set goals, and uh, we decide that a new year is a good starting point for this to happen. And so we, we make resolutions and decisions to try to change certain things about ourselves. And at the end of the day, there's no doubt that we all see things in ourselves that we probably would like to change or that perhaps we'd like to improve upon. But the question I will ask each of us this morning as we are about to enter into 2018 is where does God fit into your resolutions for the new year? Where does God fit into your plans and purposes for 2018? How is he being included? And are we including him as we go about making these goals and these decisions? And I think this is important. Actually, I know it's important because he is and he desires to be a part of our lives. And God desires to be a part of all the decisions that we make. And the scriptures say that for those who follow Christ, that Christ is in them and that they are in Christ. Paul uses that kind of language all throughout his letters in the New Testament. And so, therefore, what that's basically saying to us is that we have the incredible privilege of always having access to God's presence, to the presence of God. I want you to let that sink in for a moment. Always having access to God. Always being able to go before him and be with him. You see, the truth is, is that it hasn't always been that way for people who want to seek out God. In the Old Testament, they originally had the tent of meeting. And then later on, Solomon built what was, to become, what was to be known as the tabernacle. And these were places where the Israelites would go, and they'd meet with God in those specific places. 
And there was comfort for them in knowing that there was a place that they can go to and that they can identify with, where they can meet with God. And it was a comfort for them in knowing that, you know, they had this place where they could find God. And anything outside of that place was secular. But once you got to that tent of meeting, once you got to that tabernacle, all of a sudden you were on sacred ground. And so they had this divide between what was secular and what was sacred, what was profane and what was sacred. Basically, meaning, where God was, that was sacred ground, wherever God dwelt. That was sacred space. But when they left the tent and when they left the tabernacle, what they entered was now secular, or what they known as was secular space. But today, things have changed. And this is precisely what the Christmas story is all about. That as Christ came and made his dwelling among us, as believers with Christ in us and we in him, Therefore, God is always with us. Wherever we go, whatever we do, it's no longer just secular, but everything is sacred. Everything has a sacred component because everywhere you go, Christ goes with you. And Christ is with you, in you, and you in him. And religion likes to separate this. Religion likes to build divides here because religion says that God's over there and you're over here. In order to get to God, you need to do certain things, or you need to, you know, do certain rituals, or you need to go through certain people. See, religion has this idea that to access the presence of God, it requires works, and it requires that you do something. But the truth in Jesus, and in the relationship that he desires with each one of us today, is that he makes his dwelling among us, and us in him, and him in us. And therefore, we always have access to God's presence. And so with this in mind, Jesus needs to be a part of our resolutions and our decisions and our goals and our dreams and all that we do. He has to be included and he has to be leading us because if we're in him and he's in us, he is always there whether we're recognizing that or not. But are we as aware of this amazing truth today as we should be? And I, I say that because I think this is really tough sometimes to get our minds around. It, it is actually difficult to get our minds around because we live in a world where we compartmentalize things. And so, we, you know, we separate between our home life. That's my home life, and that's my work life, and that's my social life, and that's my recreation life, and that's entertainment. And, you know, we have all these different categories. And then with church sometimes, well, that's my spiritual life. That's my church life. And we, we can run this risk of, of doing things exactly how they did in the Old Testament, of, of seeing some things as secular, seeing some things as sacred, when all along God is with us throughout every day and every moment of our lives. And it's an amazing thing. Are we aware of that truth, that those who follow Jesus, he's always with us. In all our actions, decisions, and all of our living, God never leaves, and that's an amazing thing. But are we aware of that? Because awareness makes such a difference. I heard a story of a friend and his family who were out in their backyard watching the sky one night, and they were hoping to see maybe a shooting star or, you know, maybe a constellation, just gazing out there, hoping to see something neat in the sky. But they didn't really see anything that evening. And the next day, the husband went to work, and he was kind of, you know, searching online. He was looking at MSN, probably. That's how you could tell how dated this story is, right? Um, and if you still use MSN, no, okay, I won't even go there. But he was searching through the news the next day, and he had realized that in their area that week, there was this crazy meteor shower. There was this crazy spectacle in the sky that was happening, and it was happening the night before when they were casually sitting in the backyard looking at the sky. But the next night, 
rather than, they went back out into their backyard, but rather than just staring, they, they became intentional about it, and they brought out a telescope. And what they saw in the sky that evening was great. It was amazing. And it's interesting because the same stuff was happening in the sky on both evenings, but the difference was on the first night they were just kind of casually gazing, just kind of casually looking out, but on the following evening they intentionally gazed and they were aware of what was happening up there. They became aware of what was happening. And I would argue this, that awareness sometimes is so huge, even in our walk with Jesus. When you know that something is going on and you intentionally gaze, you intentionally look for it, it's amazing what can be seen, isn't it? And God is at work in our lives. Whether we're aware of it or not, he is constantly at work in our hearts. And I say all this to say that if we are followers of Christ, we're either going to be in one of two places. We will either kind of be ignoring him and paying attention to other things, or we can make ourselves aware of his very real presence that's in our lives. Because the fact always remains that he is with us. And so in what ways are we actively seeking to be aware of God and our relationship with him in 2018? Are we aware of God when we make decisions? And I guess maybe the greater question for us this morning is how can we be more aware of him? How can we train ourselves? How can we bring ourselves to a place where we're more presently aware of what God is doing all around us? Let me suggest this morning that the key way in which that we, we can stay connected with God and grow most aware of his will and in, of his presence is through prayer. It's through prayer. It's through engaging him. And simply put, prayer is simply conversation with God. It's to be in communication with God and to be aware of his presence in our lives. Timothy Keller says it like this. He says that prayer is both conversation and encounter with God conversation and encounter. You see, prayer is a gift that is given to us, and Jesus talked about it a lot. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 7, I just want to read the first part of that, of that verse. He says, and when you pray, and he goes on to give them certain instructions about how they sh what they should do when they pray or where their heart should be set on when they pray. But notice that he says when you pray. He doesn't say if you pray. He doesn't say, you know, should you decide to pray or if you ever think that this is a good idea. Not if you happen to have three minutes, you know, between the voice and this is us. If you want to just, you know, get some time in when you do that. It's, it, the, the idea was when you pray, when you actively come before me and communicate and encounter him and have conversation. You see, Jesus declared and assumed, and he just knew the natural thing for those who followed him would be that they'd be people who were marked by prayer. Martin Luther said it this way, to be a Christian without prayer is no more, no more possible than to be alive without breathing. I've heard a teacher once say that prayer is like the air in a Christian's lung. It's what keeps us going. And prayer was never presented to us as an option. Jesus never made it something that we could try if we felt like, or like, you know, if we, we could think about doing one day. But prayer is something that's just so essential in keeping us connected to God. It's so essential. And the only proper response to the invitation that God gives us is that we become people who follow him and people who pray. Prayer was never presented to us as an option, but only as a privilege. And what a privilege it is that we get to encounter God on a daily basis. And it's not that we have to pray. I don't want you to hear it like that this morning. It's not that it, if, if you've given your life to follow God that you have to pray. It's, it's not that you have to pray. It's that you get to pray. 
You see, prayer is a privilege. Prayer is something to be celebrated. Prayer is a gift that's given to us. It's not that we have to communicate with God, but it's that we get to communicate with him, and he loves to hear from us. He loves to spend time with us. And that's a great privilege for us today. You know, think about relationships in your lives. Healthy relationships are built upon wanting to do good things for the other person simply because you love them or you care about them. You know, this is true in marriage, right? You know, sure, there are times where we kind of have to make ourselves go out and do something that we know is right, but that can't become the norm. That can't become the basis of, like, you know, a marriage relationship. Imagine how a ma- marriage would work if, if it was 24-7 of constantly forcing yourself to do things for your spouse, right? That'd get a little tiring after a while, wouldn't it? If you just drug yourself around like this guy in the picture, like, oh, got to do this again, got to do this again, right? Like, you know, don't look over now. Don't nudge somebody beside you. But you shouldn't just do good things for your spouse because you have to. But you do good to them because you want to, because you love them, and because you, of the love you feel for and from them. It's your joy to serve and care for them, isn't it? And our relationship with God is similar. It, it, it might start at duty, but eventually it needs to go to delight. It might, start for, it might have started for you at law, but eventually it needs to result in relationship. It needs to go from just following a bunch of rules and just checking off a bunch of things in order to, you know, try to please God. It needs to go from rules and needs to result and end up in living in grace. Are you with me? From dragging our feet to actually wanting to meet with him. That's the ideal. Prayer is a privilege and not a burden. It's a joy. It's an amazing thing to spend time with God. And it's even more amazing that he desires even more so to spend time with us today. And so what can we expect from entering into a life of prayer? What will be different about our lives as we begin to pray? Let me give a few thoughts on this this morning and just leave a few points with us as we enter 2018. Number one, to pray is to change. And I believe that with all my heart. To pray is to change. Soren Kierkegaard says it like this. He says, prayer does not change God, but it changes him who prays. The function of prayer is not to change God, but it changes the one who prays. You see, prayer isn't about changing God's mind or about giving God advice on things he should know. Believe me, he knows. He already knows. But prayer puts us in contact with him. And inevitably, what happens as we pray and meet with him is that we are personally changed when we encounter him. Something happens in our lives when we become aware of his presence and when we encounter him. Richard Foster, in his book, The Celebration of Discipline, when he talks about prayer, he says this. He says the prayer, to pray is the change. Prayer is the central avenue God uses to transform us. If we are unwilling to change, we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic of our lives. The closer we come to the heartbeat of God, the more we see our need and the more we desire to be conformed to Christ. If we want to change, if we want to become more like Jesus, then a good place for us to start is by praying and having conversation with the one whom we aspire to be like. Because prayer brings us into awareness. When we begin to pray, we're aware of God's presence in our lives. We're not hiding. We're aware. We know he's there. You know, it's notable that Richard Foster states that if we're unwilling to change, that we will abandon prayer as a noticeable characteristic in our lives. I find that interesting because bringing ourselves into prayer and communion with God will no doubt have an effect upon our lives and upon our decisions and upon how we live. 
And I'm referring, when I talk about prayer here, I'm referring to biblical prayer, where we wait on him, where we speak, where we listen, where we worship, you know? Not the Santa Claus list kind of prayer here, where it's just about simply getting stuff and asking for things, but true prayer of just being with God, speaking, worship, meditating, listening upon him. If we bring ourselves into prayer, God will change our lives. Because as we become more aware of him, we become more aware of ourselves. And we become more aware of the things in which maybe we've missed the mark or over which we've fallen astray. And right from the beginning of the scriptures, those who knew that they had done wrong or who were not in a place where they should be, the natural tendency for those people was to hide away from God and to avoid him. And that's why I find Foster's quote there so fascinating. You see, in Genesis, we read about the perfect relationship between God and the people in the Garden of Eden. And in chapter 3, we see that that, per- that that relationship was changed when Adam and Eve disobey and eat the fruit from the tree that they were commanded not to eat from. And in verse 7, we see these words, after they ate the fruit, then the eyes of both of them were opened, and, that, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And then the Lord called to Adam and said to him, where are you? And so he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. You see, Adam and Eve reveal to us a natural tendency. And that is just this. It is to hide from God when we know that we've done something wrong. It's to hide from him. It's to cover up. You see, for the first time in their lives, they sinned. And when they sinned, they recognized that they were naked. Up until this point, that didn't matter at all. They had no idea they were naked. And their worth, their security, their being, everything that they had was found in God and God alone. But once they sinned, and that, that, and that perfect relationship and that place in the garden was broken, they saw their nakedness, and they hid from God, the Bible tells us. And they covered up. No longer was their full worth found in God alone, but they began to find it outside of God, and they even began to compare each other, apparently. So much so that they had to cover up. They hid and covered up, and I wonder, as I read this account in Genesis chapter 3, I wonder if we still do this today. In what ways do we still cover up our lives? In what ways do we still wear masks? You see, prayer keeps us from that. (laughs) Because rather than hiding and rather than running from the presence of God, prayer brings us into God's presence. Prayer keeps us from covering up. Prayer keeps us from wearing masks and hiding because prayer requires honesty and prayer requires vulnerability. You know, think about life in general. We often avoid those whom we feel we owe something to or whom we feel we've wronged, right? That person who owes you a hundred bucks, isn't it weird that you never see them, right? You you, you might try to get a hold of them. You might leave little passive-aggressive comments on their Facebook. Hey, good to see you, right? Where are you, right? You know, how how are things? But you never see them. They avoid you because they, they recognize that there's something there that's owed and there's just a feeling that something's wrong and I can't be around that person. But prayer brings us into a place where we live in relationship with God. We bring our full selves before him. And that includes the good, the bad, and even the ugly. And we invite him into our lives and into our stories and into our situations. And we stop hiding and we stop covering up. 
and we allow him to work in our hearts. And as we do this, we can expect him to work in our situations. As we seek him, we can expect that we will become more like him. And prayer is a way for us to be constantly aware of his presence in us. It can't help but change us if we bring ourselves before him. You know, sometimes I wonder if we're just so bent on doing things ourselves and, you know, making ourselves better and making ourselves do good things that we don't recognize that it's truly Christ's work in us that's going to make that happen. And that's the difference between law and between relationship, between law and grace. You know, the longer we avoid something, the longer we remain where we are. Isn't that true? It's like sitting around and saying, like, you know, that we want a clean driveway and yet never, ever picking up a shovel and uh, getting outside and doing anything about it. I hope that's not hitting too close to home here this morning. But in prayer, we bring ourselves before God and all of us, and we allow him to work on our hearts. As Richard Foster says in his book, prayer is also known as a spiritual discipline. Meaning that in the beginning, it's something that we have to be intentional about. And we have to intentionally make time for, and we have to be disciplined in. And at first, I think prayer sometimes might feel like duty, but eventually as we continue to pray and as we continue to grow in it, it becomes delight for us. Have you ever met some people for whom prayer just seems to come so naturally that it almost seems effortless? Anyone ever met these people before? They just pray and pray and pray and pray, and it seems like that's all they do. It seems like that's what they do, and you're sitting there wondering how, right? Like, how does this happen? Uh, you know, I've met some people like this who just, for, for them, prayer just comes so naturally. And usually my response to these people is one of two things. Um, first, I'm impressed by their discipline and their commitment, and I'm like, wow, this is amazing. What a beautiful thing that is. And it's inspiring, and it's encouraging, you know, and we, we think what a great testimony of someone who's so dependent on God and who, who's always talking with God. But where I can also end up when I see people like this is I can also end up in a place of discouragement and, and starting to doubt myself, thinking to myself, well, I can't do that. You know, I, I, I can't be like that. How do you even get to be that spiritual? You can quickly find yourself thinking questions like that. You know, I think for some of us, we wish that there was just some, like, you know, instant prayer syrup that we can drink, right? That would all of a sudden just make us want to pray, right? And then we would take it and we would just be in that place of prayer that we've always wanted to be in. I interned with a pastor in college who used to block out 8 to 11 a.m. every single morning to have no meetings, have no distractions, but to literally find himself in the place of prayer. And I was like 8 to 11 a.m. I think I block out 8 to 8.15, right? Ish, right? So something like that, you know, somewhere in there. And I used to wonder, how does he do it? But the truth is, and I'm going to use the word prayer warrior if I can, if I could say it like that this morning. These prayer warriors weren't simply born that way, but they had to start somewhere too. They had a starting point as well. And I guarantee you they didn't start there at three hours a day, but they were intentional. And I believe that, he, that this pastor knew the promises of God, and so he, he pressed on, he pushed on, and, he, you know, he pursued the place of prayer. And over time, he told me it became just as natural as talking to a friend that you just want to spend time with. And so let me say this. We may not all be equal in our prayer lives at the moment, but each of us has the same invitation today to begin to seek God and pray. And we must all start somewhere. And so maybe your next steps into 2018 is simply this, to make a commitment that we will no longer, you know, that prayer will no longer be something that we just think of, but rather something that we put into practice this year. 
And maybe that starts out at 10 minutes a day. And what a great thing that would be if it did. But we must all start somewhere. The only tragedy is to not start at all or to not take advantage of this invitation that God has given to us in prayer. You see, we, I, I, I've read a lot in, in school and taking counseling classes in college about relationships. And one of the things that most um, counselors and psychologists will say is that relationships fall apart when communication is lacking. If you want to work on your relationship, then what most people suggest to do is to work on communicating. And I believe that the same thing would go with our relationship with God. How often do you talk to him? How often do you spend time with him? Is communication where it needs to be in that relationship for you today? We could all ask, answer that privately this morning. And we're all in different spots. But I think that's why Jesus said when you pray, not if you pray or not if you have time, but he said when you pray, because prayer is so essential to our walk with Jesus. It's like as if he's saying, like, you know, thank you that we're finally talking, because it's the silence that's deadly in this relationship. Colossians 4.2 tells us to de devote ourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says to pray without ceasing. Pray continually. Meaning that prayer happens all throughout our day. It doesn't matter so much about the form or posture as much as it does in simply participating. Anyone ever heard of Brother Lawrence before? Anyone? Brother Lawrence was a French monk who lived in the 17th century, and he wrote a book called Practicing the Presence of the Lord. You can go to the next slide. And Brother Lawrence was a fascinating guy. His book is definitely worth the read. But he was inspiring, I think, to, to many people because he didn't have what many would call a glorious calling, if you will, on his life. He wasn't always dealing with the poor. He wasn't, you know, translating a new version of the scriptures, or he wasn't traveling and preaching weekly. But he worked in a kitchen, and he embraced that role in his life. And in his letters, he wrote about the delusion that some people think that there are areas or circumstances or places of life that put us closer to God, or that there are some places in life that are more holier than others. But for him, his mindset was this, was to go about ordinary business and activities completely saturated in the love of God and prayer, communing with him even while working in a kitchen. And so he wrote this in his book, that his time in the kitchen with pots and pans was no different than his time in a chapel in which he knelt in prayer. It was no different. Because in his heart, he sought to live every moment, every hour, every activity in rich communion with God, which can turn even something simple as washing dishes into a meaning encounter, meaningful encounter with him. That will surely change us. What if you live this way? Would it change how you see your present situations? What if you turned every moment of your life into a sacred encounter with God? Sacred because no matter what you may be doing or where you may be, you live in the awareness that you're not alone, that he's right there with you. And he goes with you. You see, prayer changes us. And prayer helps us become more like Jesus. And in our 2018 resolutions, if we're desiring change, if we're desiring to improve in some area in life, we cannot bypass prayer and his influence. Another point I want to make this morning, second point, is to pray is to abide in Christ. In John chapter 15, Jesus gives this illustration of a vine and branches and fruit. And in verse 5 in John 15, he says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me 
and I in you, you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. Tough language used in that passage. And he uses this illustration because the people, his audience, would have been familiar with it because vines needed to be tended to in order to produce good grapes. They can't just be left to chance. They can't just be left, you know, sitting there. Otherwise, the grapes wouldn't necessarily be good. But the key word in John 15 is this word abiding, this word remaining, which is the Greek verb meno. The growing disciple is one who is utterly dependent upon Jesus because Jesus is the vine. We're the branches. The Father is the gardener, the scriptures tell us. And we're called to abide in the vine, to abide in Christ. And so discipleship is not just a matter of acknowledging who Jesus is, but it's having Jesus spiritually connected to our inner lives. It is not simply enough to accept Jesus for the afterlife. But Jesus wants us connected and in relationship, abiding in him throughout this life, right here and right now. And Jesus says that being connected and abiding in this vine, that will result in a fruitful life. You see, fruit bearing in this case isn't a test. It's, rather, it's a byproduct of abiding in Christ. As we abide in Christ, we start to see different things in our life. We start thinking differently. We start thinking more like him. We start wanting different things for other people. We start doing things for others. As, as we allow him to work on the inside of our hearts and on the interior of our lives, we see something completely beautiful that often happens outwardly, and that's bearing fruit. The most extraordinary promises of prayer, though, are also sometimes accompanied by the sharpest warnings, aren't they? And Jesus says, just as a life connected to the vine produces fruit, so a branch that is not connected to the vine, that branch will produce nothing. And so Mother Teresa said this. She said, prayer is not asking. Prayer is putting oneself in the hands of God at his disposition and listening to his voice in the depths of our hearts. As we abide in Christ, as we allow him to form us inwardly, we will see a change outwardly as we place ourselves in, our, in his hands. And this takes striving out of it. This takes our own efforts. This takes our own works out of it. This is simply allowing God to change our hearts the way it was always intended to be. And so if you want to grow in 2018, a necessary place for us to start today is to make sure that we're abiding in Christ. And this leads us into point number three, our final point. And that's just this, that to pray is to acknowledge our need before him. You see, prayer acknowledges that you are God, that he is God, and that we are not. It acknowledges that we come to him because we recognize we are not him, that he is in control and that we need to hand it over, that God is good and that he can be trusted. In Proverbs chapter 3, we read these words, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. You see, I find that when I lean on my own understanding, when I lean on my own opinions and my own thoughts, I often find myself missing the heart of God. But prayer brings us to a place where we acknowledge that we need his leading and that we need his help. Corey Ten Boom asked this question. She said, is prayer your steering wheel or spare tire? 
And Corey's words hit home here because it causes us to ponder, is prayer something that's going to guide our lives, or is it simply something that we're going to turn to when we're in need? Those are the questions we wrestle with with prayer. You know, maybe this is just me this morning, but it's convicted that sometimes I wait for things to become very overwhelming before I approach God in prayer. When all along, that's probably where I should have started. That's probably where I should have went to. Abraham Lincoln said this. He said, I've been driven many times upon my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else to go. My own wisdom and that of all about me seemed insufficient for the tasks of the day. So former president just admitting that, you know, literally in order to get through certain things, we need God. We, we, we must find ourselves in the place of prayer. When things happen in life, where do you turn? Do you, like myself, often try to fix things yourself and try to push through and try to get through? Or do you turn to God and turn to him in the place of prayer and, and, and ask him to work in your situations? Do we recognize that we are people in need? You see, the pr to pray is to acknowledge that while we might have many talents, abilities, and gifts, and, you know, God has given us these things. Above all, prayer is acknowledging that what we truly need in our lives, in our families, in our situations, in our work, and in all of our living, is we need him. That's what prayer is doing. That's what prayer is acknowledging, that we're dependent upon him. And sometimes I think we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to bother God with that, or, you know, I can handle these things. You know, I think for some of us, we're, we're afraid that we don't go to God in prayer because we're, we're afraid that our prayers won't be answered. Bill Hybels wrote a book called Too Busy Not to Pray, in which he talked about this very thing about admitting our need before him. And in response to that, he says this, the most common cause of unanswered prayer is not praying, is prayerlessness. If you don't pray, then you can't expect your prayers to be answered. And so we need to pray in a way that we bring ourselves before God and we acknowledge our need before him. Because at the end of the day, prayer can't be just something that we talk about, read about, or that we study. But prayer is something that is meant to be experienced. It's meant to be practiced. It's meant to be lived in. Let me end with just a little story about Christmas. Under the Christmas tree this year, I got a little bit spoiled, okay? And I found some vinyl records. How many of you know I like vinyl records? Anyone? Right? I never talk about it, right? But I got a few records for Christmas this year, and I got kind of spoiled, to be honest. And, you know, it's always awesome, as I said, to, to find new wax under the tree. But people often ask me sometimes, why do you listen to vinyl? You know, it's not portable. It's big. It's awkward. Um, it, it, it's sensitive to heat. It's sensitive to the weather. You can't really take it with you. I've never seen someone who had a, a turntable set up in their vehicle. If you have, speak to me after the gathering. I'd like to find out more about it, right? But people often ask me, why do you like vinyl? And here's a couple of the reasons why I do like vinyl. I like, I like vinyl because I'm a collector. And I like artwork. I like the physical copy. I like the liner notes. And the truth is, is that most records nowadays will come with an MP3 download anyway, so you can listen to it in both formats. Secondly, I like the sound quality of vinyl. I, call me crazy, but I like sometimes that little scratching in the needle. I like the older records where the needle every now and then will skip, and it'll just remind you of what music was kind of meant to be listened to as. But I think the, one of the biggest things I like about vinyl is I like the experience. I like the experience. There's no skipping tracks on a turntable unless you want to wear out your needle fast, right? It's not like an iPod where you could just listen to 40 seconds of a song and then quickly skip, listen to 30 seconds of this song, skip, listen to this track and skip, and you're kind of all over the place, and you never really experience the music as it was presented. 
But when you put on a record and you place the needle on the record, it kind of causes you to sit down and to relax and to enjoy the music in a way that it was meant to be heard and enjoyed. Vinyl records, in a lot of ways, creates an experience for people who love music. Here's another pet peeve of mine about um, records as a, as a collector. Is, is sometimes when you see a record that you don't have that's up in a frame, right? And that somebody's framed it. And there's a record sitting there that you don't have. And it's sitting there. And it, don't get me wrong. Sometimes it looks nice. And sometimes it's good for decoration. But as a vinyl collector, that thing is meant to be listened to. <laughs> it's meant to be experienced. And not put up on a shelf. And not put in a frame. And I sometimes wonder about this experience with music, how I enjoy the experience, how it's not to be left on a shelf, how it's not to be put up on display, but it's meant to be encountered and experienced. I sometimes wonder, I have to ask myself, do I ever treat God that way sometimes? Do I ever treat God as something that's nice to look at, that's nice to talk about, that's there, that I can physically see with my eyes, keeping him on the shelf, if you will? rather than taking the time to enjoy and experience the beautiful relationship that God has offered to every single one of us. Am I ever guilty of treating God like that? Am I ever guilty of seeing God more like an antique and less as something that's meant to be enjoyed and experienced in the everyday of life? You see, part of loving God means pursuing meaningful relationship with him. Amen? And there's a huge difference between knowing about God and actually knowing him. You know, you could study God, you could learn about God, you could read the scriptures, and I encourage you to do that. I encourage you to do all those things. Those are great things. But don't bypass spending time with him. Don't bypass the experience of getting to know him as you communicate, as you encounter him in prayer. And we acknowledge how great he is, and we acknowledge that we need him, and we abide in him, and we allow him to help us become more like him. Don't bypass that in your life. Because as we spend time with God, when we allow him to lead us, guide us, and change us, you know, I, I, I believe we'll find the greatest life that we could ever imagine. A former pastor and friend of mine used to say this. He used to always say this. If you want to see spiritual results in your life, you have to do spiritual work. That was John Drisner in Saskatoon. If you want to see spiritual results in your life, then you have to do spiritual work. You have to find yourself in the place of prayer. And so in 2018, if we want to grow in our relationship with Christ, if we want to actively experience his presence, then how can we not find ourselves praying and taking advantage of this amazing invitation that he gives us? And so I'm going to conclude like this. At Soul Sanctuary, to start the new year, we want to challenge everyone, every one of us, to find a greater place of prayer. And I invite you to be a part of this as much as you can. Beginning tomorrow, January 1st, we will be doing 21 days of prayer and fasting as we start 2018 here at Soul Sanctuary. And as you leave this gathering today, there are going to be people at the doors handing out cards, and a card's going to be placed in your hand. And on that card is something for every single day of the next 21 days that you can pray for. Each day we are giving you something different that we as a community can pray for together. No matter where we're at, whether we're at work, whether we're driving, whether we're at home, wherever, we can be at prayer together as a community as we begin 2018. And so I encourage everyone to take one and to use it and to put it someplace visible, put it someplace that you will look at every day. Maybe for you, that's a TV. Maybe for you, that's, you know, your vehicle. 
Maybe that's your desk. I don't know. Maybe it's on the fridge, but please put it somewhere where it's visible. And let's start out this year seeking him and going to him and entering into that place of prayer, allowing God to change us from the inside out. Also, I'll make a quick note that during the week of January 8 to 12, we're going to be doing early morning prayer here at Seoul uh, before work, 6.30 a.m., <laughs> going to be happening in the atrium. I invite you to come and join us, to carve a little bit of time out where you can come. Even if you can make it out to one, that'd be awesome just to join us and, and, and have, a, have a morning in prayer before you go to work. And in the upcoming weeks, Pastor Jerry is going to lead us in teachings and times of prayer and in teachings on fasting as well. As we join together, beginning next week, we're going to join together in the round, and we're just going to seek God in 2018. And we're going to find ourselves as a community accepting that beautiful invitation and finding ourselves in the place of prayer. And so let's start off 2018 by focusing in on Christ and making him our pursuit, making him our priority, that no matter what resolutions we make today, no matter what resolutions uh, we make forward, that we will draw near to him this year because he is closer to us than we may even realize today. Amen? So let's pray. Father, I just thank you this morning, God, for your word and just for this amazing invitation, Lord, that we can come near to you and have conversation, Lord, and encounter you and live with you. And I pray, Lord, that you would just speak to each one of us this morning in areas in our lives, Lord God, that we need to bring before you, Lord God. Maybe in times, Lord God, where we waste, Lord, that we just need to spend more time with you this year. I pray you'd speak to our hearts, Lord, and that you would just draw us near to you. And I thank you that your word says as we draw near to you that you do draw near to us. And so I pray a blessing upon each person here this morning. As we enter a new year, I pray, God, that there would be new experiences with you this year. I pray that we'd see you do amazing things. I pray that you'd help us become more like you. And I thank you, Lord God, that you walk with us, that you lead us, and you guide us. And so I pray for each person here this morning, Lord God, that you would just be with them, bless them in their homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'll have everyone stand this morning. I'm going to end with a... A blessing today, but let me be the first one to wish you a happy new year, even though we're not quite there yet. I know I'm getting a little jump in the gun a little bit, right? But let me wish you a happy new year and a great 2018. I hope you have yourself an awesome day, um, whatever you do. But in the ancient times, the one who blessed did so by extending hands, and those who received the blessing did likewise. So if you like a blessing this morning, please just extend your hands. And here it is. May the embrace of the Father be the comfort that you desire. May the name of the Son be the one on whom you will rely on. May the presence of the Spirit be with you in every hour. May the three-in-one be the focus of all you are. Go now in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Happy New Year. Have a great day, and I will see you all next week as we gather in the round. Um, have a good one.